Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey Curtis. Hey James. Season 3. I you, can't believe are it. Are you keen? Hey, 2020 vision, baby. I can't. There's a joke there. I can't figure out what 20, it is. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't figured it out either. Nah, well, we'll come back to we'll that. We'll get it by 2021. So what's happening? What are we doing? Are we starting oh, man, like- this season? I'm thinking guests. Yeah. I'm thinking guests like, every episode. Guests I think. every episode. Live shows all the time. Yeah. Like this is going to be the biggest, the best season. Hold on a second. Hold up. What's going on? Oh yeah, I just um just got an email here. Let me just, oh, sorry, email. just check it. Yeah. Bloody sorry, bloody bloody email. Check out my emails. No, 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 no. Oh, it's from uh, Kevin McLeod. Kevin McLeod, our good friend. Oh, he really uh, bloody wrote the Purgatory and Friends. Friends, fantastic. Hey, he's a good boy. I like him a lot. Uh, well, let's check in on him. Uh, we'll see what he's doing. To Say him, hi to me. Hey, um, ask him how Jeanette and the kids I'm gonna, are. Yes, I'm going to start writing my reply right now. Okay, hi, cool. Kevin. Great to hear from you. Great to hear Thank from you. you. Yeah. How are Jeanette and the kids? How are Jeanette and the kids? Yep. Um, let me now read the email. Please. Let me have a look here. Uh, it says that um, Purgatory and Friends is not royalty free and in fact per episode royalties must be paid Curtis I think we're in a bit of debt wait I think so it's <laughs> yeah, not it's not royalty free um, we do have to pay for the licensing how much do we owe him oh, God. no James don't <laughs> James just tell me don't, don't. twelve dollars twelve and this is unfeatured articles Stop it, stop it. Hello, oh, ladies God. and gentlemen, and welcome back to Unfeatured Articles, the farewell the tour. Farewell we, tour. We can't we, we can't afford it anymore. We just can't afford to keep the lights on here. Twelve dollars in debt. And we didn't have time or the energy to put up a Patreon. <laughs> it's I'm sorry. I'm sorry everyone. I I can't feel I hope but feel that this is my fault. And I will c- no, commit James, to Puku after fault. the show. It's not your fault, James. No. I picked it. We had so many choices. We had so many choices. No, but for real, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome back to a very special Unfeatured Articles episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, to all our loyal listeners, um, James. Yes. You're moving to Sydney. I am. I'm moving to Sydney. I'm, do- I'm pulling a Riley. First Riley left me. <laughs> <laughs> and now you in this godforsaken uh-huh. city, James. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, in the biz, we call it pulling a Riley. <laughs> yeah, pulling a Riley. Um, yeah, what, no. Why, I, why are you going down there? What well, did you do? I got myself you... a, a cheeky little job. Oh. I'm going to be doing some some kooky uh, IT stuff down there. Oh, you're there. such a such a nerd. I'm a, nerd. I'm a bit of a nerd. Bit of a nerd. Bit, bit of, of a, a gamer girl. <laughs> I'm a gamer girl. So you buy water. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm I'm doing. I'm moving down. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and. Uh, you know, and with this, you know, massive yeah. debt that we're in, <laughs> I got to get out of get out of dodge. And, you know, and we've we've organised a payment plan. Yeah, yeah, uh, and we're going to be sorting through that. Oh, but until then, we're not going to have the time nor the resources no. to keep putting out good quality, quality content, content that we've that always done that you've come to <laughs> that expect. you've come to expect from us. Uh, so it's a it's a, it's a hiatus uh, for you know, in indefinite indefinite. If does indefinite mean? It will come back. I mean, we might do a reunion tour when we're fifty. 
That's true. I can't wait. Yeah. We'll be like the Rolling Actually, Stones. Actually, in all seriousness, I think, a re- and this is copyright Curtis Lang. Yeah. Uh, I think a really funny uh, premise for a comedy show mm. would be to do a reunion, a reunion tour, tour. But now. <laughs> <laughs> like to we're, we're, back. we're back, baby. We're back. We're doing it again. We're doing it one more time. Um, uh, yeah. No, I... I see you don't steal. Um, yes. But yeah, so unfortunately, James is leaving and like, mm. I'm great. I'm really good at so many things. Yeah. But I just don't think I've got it in me to no. do it on my own. And it's, I'm yeah. sick of finding new co-hosts. <laughs> yeah. We've exhausted uh, all our I've friends. I've literally got no more friends. Yeah, um, exactly. We ran out of friends. Uh, and with this $12 debt over our heads, we just can't. We just can't do anymore. It's, so you know, what are we going to do, James? What are we doing today? This is the mega... Uh, this is the goodbye tour. It's the capstone. But this is the capstone. We have a few articles... Um, Zane's going to be helping us out, joining us. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm Zane. Here. I'm doing that thing. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Just being quiet, waiting, seeing what's happening. Yeah. We've all got some articles. <laughs> um, Zane, when we... Let's get sentimental. Mm. Let's get sentimental. When we started, it mm. was the beginning of 2018, yeah? I believe so. So, so it's, it's coming up. It's, it's almost on the dot two years. Mm. How many podcasts were on the network then? I believe you were the... Sixth or seventh? Really? And now, how many do we have on the network? Fifty uh, something. How fucking cool is that? What a, a growth! I mean, I think most of that is is definitely due to the quality of your podcast. I think so. Be. I think Must we could be. claim. I think we could yeah. claim either that or that. they listened to this and they were yeah. like, "Oh, well, if these guys, if these guys can do <laughs> it, do it, fucking, we can." Yeah, I'm in. Um, no, that's awesome. Great for the network. Um, and it's been, a, yeah, a great ride. Uh, you know, before this, I'd never done a podcast before. Um, before this in my song suck. I'd done a little bit of presenting, but yeah. nothing as regular as this. I, is... I don't think podcasts existed before I no. started doing them. I, I think, That's, I think can, you're right. In a little town called Brisbane, <laughs> by a man named Zane, podcasts were invented circa 2018. Mm. Circa. Uh, anyway... Uh, let's all save that for the end of the show. Yeah. For now, let's get down to doing what we do averagely. Nice. Um, <laughs> true. Bring in <laughs> some weird, wacky, wonderfully comedic, mm. out of proportion, weird, I already said weird, interesting Double articles weird. from the wonderful website that is Wikipedia, who still have not contacted us for sponsorship. Weird. Um, which is, I mean, they are asking people for money left, right, center, yeah, so maybe they yeah, don't got any. True. Only $2.50. Um, I know, for a price of a coffee, you can keep the lights on. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, we've got a couple of articles. We've got, I think, three articles each. Mm. So we're going to do a bit of a bit of a meaty app today. Yeah. Um, I and then think many of mine have to do with meat. <laughs> yeah, mine are all I veg- feel like that was the theme I sent Vegetarian through. articles. Vegetarian articles. Oh, come yeah. on, guys. That's um, the name of the show, Vegetarian, <laughs> vegetarian Articles. articles. Um, <laughs> So yeah, let's get into it. Cool. Um, uh, do you want to? I can uh, start us you off. Can start, please. Start us off. Let's do it. Um, Zane and I will listen. Let's listen, Zane. Fantastic. All right, I I, w- I will not talk anymore. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, you know how's how your day been, Zane? It's been oh, good. Oh no. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm leaving <laughs> early. I'm out of here. I've booked my flight for right now. <laughs> We're right now. Yeah. We're gonna be here after this. <laughs> that was me going. Yeah. Leaving off in the plane. <laughs> You know how we're all big sports fans? Yep. Huge. Love sports. I want to tell you about a sports match that uh, shook the world. Tell me more. Was it the one singular sports match that I've been to? Probably. It was and probably that one. What was the sport? It was baseball. Wow. 
That's and fun. Baseball's a bit of a thing. Is it? Well, okay. Maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. Who was playing? It was the Blue Jays uh-huh. versus the Yankees, I think. We were at Yankee Stadium, so I assume okay. it has oh, to yeah. be... Oh, yeah. Yankees got to be there. Blue Jays are from Canada. But it was very unremarkable. I don't think it shook the world. Okay, all right. Probably not that one then. Probably okay. not that one. The one that I've got is 2016 in March, and we're playing Go. Now, do you guys know Go? I know Go. You know Go? Curtis, have you heard of Go? Counter-Strike? <laughs> yes, yes, Go. Not quite, no. Um, Go is probably the oldest existing game that we still play today. It's a, it's a board game. Um, you might have played a similar game uh, like Othello, or basically you've got Black. Othello, and, the yeah, Shakespeare play. It's also a board game. Um, <laughs> Why are you not doing the board game? I am doing the board game. Oh, okay. I thought you were doing a specific event of the game. I just want to clarify. We're, we're, we're saying that Go is a sport. Yeah, sure. Okay. Like chess is a Chess, isn't chess a sport. is a sport. No, it's not. I mean, it, I mean... There has been painting competitions at the Olympics, so technically really? painting's a sport. Really? Dang. Find that article. Theatre um, sports? Theatre sports. Theatre sports. sports. The so sports is, is pretty widely... Uh, it's a wide definition. Anyway, so yeah. Go is a game where you basically are trying to have the most tiles of your colour at the end of the game. You place tiles surrounding the opposition's colour uh, to flip that colour to your colour, and you want to have the Isn't most... checkers? That's not at all checkers. I have not played checkers in about 15 years. Checkers is like chess, but for circles. And you just like... <laughs> chess, but for circles? <laughs> I yeah. mean, no, I don't think we need any more explanation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, James, keep going. It's uh, chess, but for circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Go is much different. Um, it's a board game. It's it's a lot like chess uh, in that you... There's a uh, white and black and you're versing each other. And you, Very racially. Yeah, it's racially geared. charged. Yeah. Uh, as chess and Go both are. But... Well, um, in chess, the whites always go first. Kind of rings a bloody bell, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk. Let's dive into the uh, three racial white, implications. Just three white men having a racial chat. Yeah, it was great. Uh, no, Go is it's uh, from uh, it comes from Asia. It is a board game where you're trying to get the most uh, of your color by the end of the game. Okay, claim the most board space essentially. Yeah, cool. Um, it has been played for many, many, many years. Um, and one of the champions of the game is a man named Lee Sedol. Lee Sedol, he is from South Korea, and this particular match of Go is Lee Sedol versus the computer program AlphaGo. Oh, no. This is... Um, this is Skynet. This is Skynet. Did man beat machine? Machine beat man. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. I so- actually really like to see it. Like, oh, yeah? Yeah, I like... It's time. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've had the AIs aren't going to do any worse. Right. Like, okay, since we last went on air, mm. everything's gone to shit. <laughs> it's true, it's Everything true. has gone to fucking we shit. We need the robots to save us, if <laughs> anything. Australia I mean, is on fire. Yeah. World War Three is about to en- <laughs> engulf the world. Just put the robots in charge. Honestly, for a little bit. Get us back on track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make it all algorithms. Yeah. So, for a long, long time, um, it was widely believed that a computer would never be good enough to play Go against real people on like a competitive level um, just because of the way the game is played mm. um, it's more complex than chess and so we used to think that oh you probably couldn't play chess uh, against a person as a computer program mm. uh, in 1997 um, Deep Blue it was an AI program that yep. first 
uh, Gary Kasparov quite famously uh, and managed to just about beat him uh, yeah. in their second round. Uh, this one, the it was like... So, uh, many in the field of artificial intelligence consider Go to require more elements that mimic human thought than chess. Mathematician I.J. Good wrote in 1965... Go on a computer in order to program a computer to play a reasonable game of Go rather than merely a legal game. It is necessary to formalize the principles of good strategy or to design a learning program. The principles are more qualitative and mysterious than in chess and depend more on judgment. So I think it will be even more difficult to program a computer to play a reasonable game of Go than of chess. Um, that they predicted it would take like, you know, a hundred years or whatever. Uh, it got to 2016, which was about 50-odd uh, years after that statement that um, this this game is played mm. um, by AlphaGo, which is a program built um, by a company that started up in about 2014 or, or maybe a bit earlier than that. Yeah. And then they sold themselves to Google to get more resources. Right. And so now it's Google. Um, Google DeepMind is the um, company that... Uh, made AlphaGo. Right. So they started out and they had this thing that could make Go. Um, it was, you know, an AI it could kind of learn from its matches and they were like, okay, well, let's put it up against a professional. So yeah. what they did is they had a match against Fan Hui, who is the European champion of Go. Right. Right. Um, they beat Fan Hui 5-0. Uh, so five games to AlphaGo, zero games to Fan Jesus. Hui. And these matches take, like, hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it says here that uh, uh, some games can last up to 16 hours. Yeah. And a professional game usually exists within the realm of one to six hours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mental. So, Fan Hui gets completely wiped out, but everyone's like, no, nah, that's fine. He's the European champion, which is... <laughs> He's got nothing on like Asia. Miles yeah. below, miles yeah. below um, what... It's uh, like how... It's like how um, like the Australian StarCraft champion. Right. Not as good as the South Korean StarCraft exactly. champion, right? Exactly that. Um, so they were like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, Have they taught computers to play StarCraft? Ooh. I don't think that's possible quite yet. Mm. Not yet. That'll, probably, that'll be the next thing. <laughs> that'll be the next thing. <laughs> Canadian AI specialist uh, Jonathan Schaefer commenting after the win against Fan uh, compared AlphaGo with a child prodigy that lacked experience and considered the real achievement will be when the program plays a player in the true top echelon. So, skip to 2016. I'm there. One year later. Um, I wish I was there. Yeah, best year of my life. This oh, actually, no, it was a bad year. Uh, actually, yeah, 2015. 2016 is when everyone died. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true, yeah. fuck! 2016 yeah. was like, people were dropping left and right. Yeah, 2015, I was on top of the world. I was king of Ben. Man, how I'm sad now. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. <laughs> so we go to the Four Seasons in Seoul, South Korea. Frankie uh, Valley? Huh? Frankie Valley? Frankie Valley is there. Yeah. From the, right, risen from the grave. Uh, the the man of, is still alive, dude. Is he? Yeah. Nah, he's probably dead. Valley, Valley is 100% still alive. Nah, he's fine. He's dead. <laughs> Fucking uh, Apologies rip, to Frankie rip Valley. Frankie Valley. <laughs> the winner of the match was slated to win one million dollars. One million to a oh, to the company. One million dollars to the company, uh, which they would have if they if they were to win, they would like donate to charities and yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Um, the first day, so this is like over literally five days. Mm. This championship, first day, game one, Lee appeared to be in control throughout much of the match. 
Um, he, at the beginning of the match, was like, hey, it's fine. This is a computer. I can beat it easily. Uh, he said that the computer strategy in the early part of the game was excellent and that the AI had made one unusual move that no human Go player would have ever made. Mm. Um, David Omeron, commenting on the game at Go, um, described Lee's seventh stone as a strange move to test AlphaGo's strength in the opening. So Lee's just like, oh, let's see how good He's this thing is. He's playing with his dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, characterizing the move as a mistake and AlphaGo's response as accurate and efficient. Uh, AlphaGo won the first game. Yeah. Game two. AlphaGo uh, played nearly a perfect game, according to Lee. From the very beginning of the game, I did not feel like there was a point where I was leading. One of the creators of AlphaGo, Demis Asabis, said that the system was confident of victory from the midway point of the game, even though the professional commentators could not tell which player was ahead. So, it's 2-0. Game three. AlphaGo wins again. After the second game, there had still been strong doubts among players whether AlphaGo was truly a strong player in the sense that it had a human, uh, in the sense that human might be. Mm. The third game was described as removing that doubt, with analysts commenting that AlphaGo won so convincingly as to remove all doubt about its strength from the minds of experienced players. In fact, it played so well that it was almost scary. Enforcing AlphaGo to withstand a very severe one-sided attack, Lee revealed its hitherto undetected power. Lee wasn't gaining enough profit from his attack. One of the greatest virtuosos of the middle game had just been upstaged in black and white clarity. So, AlphaGo was just like... And that is when the first person uttered the word Skynet. Yes. <laughs> um, Alpha, AlphaGo, if you spell it backwards, it spells T-800. Yeah. <laughs> AlphaGo is simply stronger than any known human Go player, according to David Omerond and Anne Yonggil. Oh, fuck, um, this is how it starts. This is actually how it starts. Game four, Lee wins. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. no, it was, that's just AlphaGo. Yeah, it's just it, like... Yeah, it's yeah, just like... It's like, oh, okay, let's not destroy the, him. Yeah, exactly. Let's not leave the man with nothing left. So... Um, Lee chose to play a type of extreme strategy in response to AlphaGo's apparent pre uh, preference for a particular strategy called SuperGo, um, taking territory at the perimeter rather than the center. By doing so, his apparent aim was to force an all-or-nothing approach, um, a possible weakness for an opponent that's strong at negotiation types of play, and one which might make AlphaGo's cap capability of deciding slim advantages largely irrelevant. The first 11 moves were identical to the second game, uh, where Lee also played white. In the early game, Lee concentrated on taking territory in the edges and corners of the board, allowing AlphaGo to gain influence in the top and center. Lee then invaded AlphaGo's region of influence at the top with moves 40 to 48. AlphaGo respond responded with a shoulder move, uh, subsequently sacrificing four stones elsewhere. However, an unexpected play at white 78, uh, described as a brilliant Tsuji, turned the game around. The move developed a white wedge at the center, and increased the game's complexity. Uh, it was de described as a divine move on the part of Lee and stated that the move okay. uh, would have been completely unforeseen by him. AlphaGo... I think it's a little unfair that the human makes one good move and it's called divine. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the, the computer's the like, computer's oh, it's just a lucky rookie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I'm imagining this like... And it will, this statement will lead me into my next question. Mm. I'm imagining this like... Original season Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm. <laughs> well, legit. <laughs> yeah, you've activated my trap card. <laughs> I play Part of Greed, which allows me to draw two cards. Add them to my hand. Now, my question is: Yes, when is this being applied so that I can have a dual disc? 
True. And duel people in, in, in the street. We're wasting right? so much time and effort on other Im- unimportant things. Why can I not yeah. summon the Egyptian gods yes. in the middle of Fortitude Valley? Exactly. That is my question. They should do like a Pokemon Go, but for you. Fuck yeah, they should. And it's just like, it's just like on the street. Yeah. That'd be sick. So AlphaGo just fucking loses it. Just like goes wild and does like these moves that are just like w- any human player, any like normal player of the game would never make the moves that AlphaGo was playing yeah. after this like one divine move that got played. Divine move. Yeah. Because its algorithm got all fucking messed up. And so like it played poorly on move 79 because it was estimating it had a 70 chance, a 70% chance of winning. So it was like, cool, I'll just play this. Yeah. And then Lee... Uh, was just like, well, that's wrong, and just like exposed this weakness. Um, uh, David Ormerond characterized moves 87 to 101 from AlphaGo as typical of um, Monte Carlo based program mistakes, uh, which apparently is a thing. I don't know. <laughs> what a slam. Yeah. <laughs> Put yeah, it in they... its fucking place. <laughs> uh, they concluded that the game was a masterpiece for Lisa Doll and will also certainly become a famous ga- game in the history of Go. Um, that one game that the human beat the computer yes. at, <laughs> that's the one that's famous. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Humans are trash. Yeah. This is literally a one winner. It's yeah. just like, it's, it's fine, guys. It's, it's fine. won three games before yeah. now. <laughs> but they didn't count. It's this one that it's matters. It's this one. This one's the most impressive. <laughs> and then AlphaGo just like won the last game as well. So yeah. like, just nah, nah, we will ignore the we'll victory. Ignore that. <laughs> That's not important. No, nah. yeah, no, it's not important. Nah. But we, yeah, exactly. The humans <laughs> won... Once. With a divine move. With a divine move. <laughs> Authorized by God. Yes. <laughs> God came to Lisa Doll and uh, granted him victory over the machines. Isn't, uh, and not ragging on this dude's name at all, mm-hmm. but isn't a, isn't the Lisa Doll, isn't that a very famous sex doll? The Lisa Doll? Yeah. Uh, oh. You have exited my frame of reference, sir. <laughs> this is my, well, Ooh. thankfully we're in my area of expertise. <laughs> I don't want to Google it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, like, man. Do it for the bit. <laughs> All right. Lisa, doll. <sighs> no, I'm not seeing any oh, sex toys. I'm so upset. Not seeing any sex toys. I'm not upset. It's my mum's name. Anyway, <laughs> uh, shall we move on to Please, what the you, next article? Do you want to do one? I will do one. I will do one. And I'm going to do one that is... The title is a uh, very famous Lewis Sparks. Okay. He's the guy who wrote the notebook. Oh right, um, yeah. Whoever's whoever, whatever that guy's like name Nicholas is, Sparks? No, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. Boom, there Nicholas it is. Sparks. Uh, it's a dear John letter. A dear John letter is a letter written to a man by his wife or romantic partner to inform him that their relationship is over because she has taken another lover. Wow. The man is often a soldier stationed overseas, (laughs) although the letter may be used in other ways, including being left for him to discover when he returns from work to an emptied house. It is usually sent after time away on holiday. Rude. Rude. (laughs) Rude. Um, So, yeah. While the exact origins of the phrase are unknown, uh, it is commonly believed to have been coined by Americans during World War II. John was the most popular and common baby name for boys in America uh, at the time, making it a reasonable placeholder name when denoting those of age for military service. So it's like, yeah, it's just like, you know, when old guys call everybody Gary yeah. Yeah. in Australia? It's yeah. like that. Um, 
Large numbers of American troops were stationed overseas for many months and years, and as time passed, many of their wives or girlfriends decided to begin a relationship with a new man rather than wait for them to return to satisfy their needs. Mm. As letters to servicemen from wives or girlfriends back home would typically contain affectionate language such as, Dear Johnny, or My Dearest John, or simply, Darling. A serviceman receiving a note with a curt, Dear John, would instantly be aware of the letter's purpose. Uh, <laughs> a, letter, a writer in the Democrat and Chronicle of Rochester, New York, summed it up in August 1945. Dear John, the letter began, I have found someone else whom I think the world of. I think the only way out is for us to get a divorce, it said. They usually begin like that. Those letters that told of infidelity on the part of the wives of servicemen. The men called them Dear Johns. It's, it's, I, I was reading an article about this the other day, and it's yeah. um, the injustice of this letter yeah. is very much focused on and but then it's just really just taken for granted the infidelity that might happen while servicemen were overseas yeah again against their wives it's just they didn't write letters home to yeah. their wives about <laughs> it yeah <laughs> yeah it's like yeah when they Jane yeah when they <laughs> I, I was in Bangkok and yeah, <laughs> oh, you won't right. believe the brothels. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point actually because like, yeah. When they're, just, when, yeah. They're, when they're just kicking about like Cairo or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's just that we have the artifact here yeah. so we can mm. study that. Yeah. That's really, I find that really funny, the idea of Dear Jane. <laughs> Man, the cocaine in Cairo was fucking tops. <laughs> um, uh, an early reference to Dear John Letters was made in a United Press article of March 1944. It has been claimed that the Vietnam War inspired more G- Dear John Letters than any other US conflict. Later, this type of letter informed the background to the British uh, television show Dear John and the American sitcom of the same name. A Dear Jane letter is a ooh, contemporary version ooh. of a Dear John letter addressed to a female right. lover. Also, it's just the same thing. Because, yeah, because but, women are now in the, in the right, service as yeah. well. Uh, the term is also used to describe letters written in the context of employment, either to inform an applicant that they have not been selected for a job, mm. who employees have separated from work, or from an employee to their employee upon the employee quitting. That's okay. just a little. That's just a little advent- addendum at the bottom. Yeah, there. right. But yeah, so it's just a lady. When will my husband return from the mm. war? That classic <laughs> thing. She's like, ah, not soon enough. Not soon enough. I mean, Steve is next door. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. He's got the lawnmower out. I just yeah. Oh. <laughs> my pearls, my stars. Yep, um, that's what ladies want. Moan lawns. Moan lawn. Well, I've never met a lady who doesn't love a moan lawn. That's true. Okay. That's the that's the weird stereotype I'm gonna stick to today. Yeah, okay. I mean, look if if that's your your. But you know what? Never met a man who doesn't know, love a moan lawn either. Do you think who doesn't love a well kept uh, lawn? Yeah, it's true. You know, lions. I swear to God. I swear to God. My dad has. Like a dad sense <laughs> And so like If I ever Start mowing the lawn And then be like oh, I'll come back to that later Within like 48 <laughs> hours I'll get a message Being like You mowing the lawn <laughs> He could be anywhere <laughs> In the be, world you know, yeah. Like he, li- he lives in Sydney At the moment So yeah. like he'll be like Have you mowing the lawn And I'll be like Yes He's like Did you finish Did you finish <laughs> I'll be like mm. <laughs> I mean, That just means That he knows you Yeah mm. I'm good at other things <laughs> Okay. Finishing is not one. Am I right, ladies? Anyway, Zane. Heyo. Have you heard of Banjawan Station? I have not. It is a remote cattle station in Western Australia. Mm. In the 1990s, Banjawan was owned by Orm Shinrikyo. Okay. Uh, that 
uh, basically became known for a Tokyo subway attack where they released sarin gas in the oh, fuck oh. subway. Uh, so Omshun Rikyo was a Japanese cult. Mm, right. Uh, so, and after the subway so, attack... And, and they, they attacked a subway station and claimed credit for it. Yes. Right. Yep. So after the attack, uh, the AFP investigated, and Benjamin was one of seventy. Uh, was was one of was a lot one of the largest stations in Australia, and they had owned it for a short period of time. A As like a years front before that, or just a remote location to plan their nefarious purposes. We shall see. Oh. Mm. Uh, so. The land is a mix of Wanderi, Mulga, saltbush and grasslands that support both annual and perennial grasses, gum trees, Mulga, follow the four main creeks and other watercourses. Um, it's basically a sheep station. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, so it was established in 1903 and had several owners. Um, so uh, including uh, the Warren brothers who have some notoriety. But for a year, in 1993, Jap- the Japanese Orm Shinrikyo cult uh, owned it, and in 2010 the leases were Colvin and Adele Day, um, and it currently uh, carries about 2,500 of cattle. Right now, Om Shinrikyo was a Japanese doomsday cult right. responsible for criminal and terrorist acts. Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they purchased the station in 1993 and built a facility there. Uh. The chairwoman for the Aboriginal community living near the sheep station, Phyllis Thomas, said that she and other Aborigines saw about five people wearing full-length suits and helmets on the remote site in late August 1993. The suited sect members were standing by a twin-engine airplane and others were in in the plane. In September 1993, a team of Orm scientists arrived in Australia with mislabeled hydrochloric acid among other chemicals. Oh. Uh-huh. The Orm group travelled with chemicals and mining equipment on which they paid over $20,000 in excess baggage fees, according to the Australian Federal Police report. Among the baggage... How does that not race? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> among the baggage was a mechanical ditch digger, picks, petrol generators, gas masks, rep- respirators, and shovels. A customs duty of over $15,000 was paid to import these items. Because of the large amount of excess baggage being brought in by the group, Australian Customs searched the entire group. The search revealed four litres of con- concentrated hydrochloric acid, including some in containers marked as hand soap. Oh, there we go. Among like- the other chemicals are the the customs officials found were ammonium chloride, sodium sulfate, mm-hmm. and petrochloric acid and ammonium water. All of the chemicals and some of the laboratory equipment were seized by the Australian authorities. Right. New chemicals were purchased in Australia, and a research facility <laughs> of unknown purpose was established on what the site. The good. When uh, when raided by the Australian government in 1995, it contained computers and lab equipment. Uh, the Australian government, finding that the wells in the region were not operating properly, demanded that a manager be hired to take care of the sheep. The Orm Group complied. In early 1994, the research equipment was removed and replaced with sheep farms. The Orm Group demanded that they would be the only ones to shear the sheep. 2,000 sheep were shorn and sold to a slaughterhouse. The manager did not witness any experiments or mineral exploration. End quote. The site was sold in 94. Uh, in March 95 is when uh, the Orm Group released toxic sarin gas into the Tokyo subway system, killing uh, killing 12 people and injuring over 1,000. Fucking hell. Uh, the site also contained the corpses of a number of sheep that showed signs of exposure to sarin gas. The soil in the area contained oh. traces of methyl 
methylphosphonic acid no. and residue of sarin use. No. The conclusion was that Banjawan had been used as a test site for chemical weapons use. Fuck. So they've been testing the stuff that they were going to... That is... Debatable. That is what the authorities think. Sure. Right. sure. But... Never clinically proven. On the night of 28th of May 1993... A mysterious seismic disturbance was detected in Western Australia oh. and found to have emanated from south of Banjawan. The event sent shockwaves through hundreds of miles of desert but was witnessed only by a few long-distance bus drivers and gold prospectors. They reported seeing a fireball in the sky and hearing a protracted low-frequency sound. The cause of the event remained a mystery, however. What? An asteroid impact... Would have left a large crater, perhaps 300 years, none of which was found. Oh. Alternatively, a bolide or airburst caused by a stony asteroid of up to tens of meters in diameter would not have reached the surface, but would likely have exploded in the atmosphere, yeah. creating uh, a similar effect. This is similar to the 2013 Russian meteor event, where basically in yeah. dash cam you see uh, uh, an object zoom into the atmosphere and explode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Following the revelation that the Banjawan was owned by Orm, there was also speculation in 97 that this event might have been the result of a, text ex- a test explosion of a nuclear device they had built. Oh. The event was determined to have had the strength of a small nuclear explosion, perhaps up to 2,000 tonnes of high explosives. Oh. This was. It was known that the Orm were interested in developing nuclear as well as chemical weapons as they had recruited two nuclear engineers from the former Soviet Union and had been mining uranium at Banjawan. However, the AFP found no evidence of this or any equipment that might indicate such research and the Orm cult members were believed to not be in the country at the time of the event. But the, the earthquake... Is still and viable are still unexplained. Right, because we don't is Banjawan Station. <laughs> we don't we don't get a lot of earthquakes in Australia. No, we'll, because we're dead yeah. center in the middle of a of a tectonic of a tectonic plate. plate. Yeah. So yeah. we're not on the ridges or anything. So we don't really get them. No, and that's why it's really just a something impacting, yeah. or exploding that would cause the uh, the effect. Dude, that's fucking wild. Yeah, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dang, and that's it. Oh god! That's all we know. Oh I fucking, no! I hate things like that because um, the Tunguska event, yeah, which is the thing that happened like in 1908, which was like no one can, no one really knows what happened. It happened in Russia, yeah. and like it was the most powerful explosion that has ever happened on Earth, right? Um, and it just it leveled a bit of Russian countryside, like just the trees just like were on the ground afterwards, and um. Yeah, it's just wild. These things that these explosions that happen, oh and like God. no one can explain. It's like no one knows. No one knows. How do you not know? <laughs> and I think there's no crater or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Sounds like a bomb to me. <laughs> wow. Well, there's well, our, our first, first three. three articles. Are we just gonna steamroll through? No, or I reckon. Are we I reckon let's pick a winner a and break? then take a little break. Okay. And then All we'll right. come back to it. Um. Cool. What were our things again? I did um, the AlphaGo versus Alpha Lisa Go. Doll. I did the the divine de- move. The, the divine, divine move. move. Yeah. I did the Dear John letters, mm. and you did the Angelwan Station. How do we feel, gentlemen? Huh. I quite liked. We'll say it on three. One, two, three. Dear Sorry. John. 
<laughs> it's a three-way split. Oh, has this ever happened? I don't think so. What? Well, I guess I get to break it. Oh, <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> right, well, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll think about how we're going to figure that one hold out. Hold on, hold wait, on. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'll, I'll change my vote. Oh, is this how it works? Is I it? think so. Yeah, sure, go on. I was like, Fucking I don't, do don't know. So that gives it to... Benjuan Station. Benjuan Station. Oh, hurtful. <laughs> My my one was really good. Fine. I liked your one. That's oh, all I voted fuck for. Fuck you. I mean, he did vote for it initially. Yeah, true. I'll take that. One. I'll t- I said, like, that's a tiny little W for Curtis Lang. Yeah, <laughs> you guys can right. both. It's the last episode. You both win. <laughs> fuck it. Fuck you. You're leaving. <laughs> all right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. And we're back. And we're back. Well, um, that's our first round done. And we're moving into the second round. Second the second round. of three, and I'm already starting to feel sad. Oh, no, oh, I'm bud. good. I'm good. I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> <laughs> it's Don't. one or the other. You're either really like sad or I'm just grieving. like you're tired to get over. These are the stages of grief. Exactly. Um, All right, well, uh, let's dive into some more articles. Um, Zane, have you got another one for us, mate? I do. I do have another one. <clears throat> now, have you ever... You've heard of garden gnomes, of course. Of course. Of course. Have of course. you ever heard of garden hermits? No, no, but I can't wait to. Also known as ornamental hermits. So these are hermits encouraged to live in purpose-built hermitages, follies, grottos, or rockeries on the estates of wealthy landowners, primarily during the 18th century. I'm sorry, fucking as in they're real people? Yeah. Wow. So this is, this is a dream job. Is basically what it is. Uh, there are still so, her- there so are like, still hermitages in the world today. Uh-huh. Let me let me let me break it down. Yeah, is that what the word hermitage comes from? Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. A hermitage um, is somewhere where a hermit lives. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, I'm a wealthy landowner. I'm Lord Lang of the Langston Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm just like James, mm. you filthy mongrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Hello. come you come live on my land now. Okay. Here's yes. a cave. Yes. It's yours. Is that? Literally it? Yeah. Fuck. That's um, sick. So such hermits would be encouraged to dress like druids. Cool. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Remain permanently on site uh-huh. where they could be fed, cared for, and consulted for advice or viewed for entertainment. Yes. <laughs> Done. Sign me up. I mean, Where's right? Yeah, do I... You must see my hermit. <laughs> you must. He lives in a cave down back. <laughs> he stacks rocks all day. Is this um, a euphemism? <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries, garden hermits were novelties and eccentricities. Uh, grottos had become more popular uh, for places to withdraw for meditation, relaxation, and refle- reflection. Uh-huh. Um, with an increased focus on industrialism and production, contemplative garden meditation was viewed by some as an extravagance. With the lack of personal free time and combination with the increase of disposable income, mm. the popularity of natural garden landscapes, so a more turn away from the, the Victorian gardens and the, and the Versailles gardens, right. where they're very strict uh, lines and what have you. Mm. Established an environment in which the idea of garden hermits as novelty guests became popular. Uh, so in some early instances, hermits were simply re- represented or hinted at rather than being personified out- outside a folly or a grotto. Oh, a small table and chair or reading glasses or a classical text might be placed, uh, suggesting that a hermit lived there. Right. Later, suggestions of hermits 
were replaced with actual hermits, men hired for the sole purpose of inhabiting a small structure and functioning as any other garden ornament. So it's like if... Any other garden ornament? It's like if Elf on the Shelf went from just like a little doll in the house that moves around to like literally you hiring a seasonal worker to live in your house and dress as an elf. (laughs) Great. Uh, And Santa's... Uh, sent him yeah. to make sure that you are behaved just for this one month, though. <laughs> and he Good. has full rights to, yeah. I guess, beat you if you misbehave. He'll just watch you <laughs> all the time. And take notes and in take his rigorous note. <laughs> notes to send to Santa. So I only found out recently that the elf on a shelf is a spy for Santa. Yeah. That's the, yep. that's the idea. Yep. What a and like, what a wild parenting tool. Sometimes it's like in like funny positions. Well, yeah, you, the parents are meant to move it around from night to night, so it looks like the elf is doing things while the child sleeps. Yeah, right. Like I have, it's I work creepy. with someone who set it up to make it look like the elf was defending a cookie jar from Darth Vader and Darth Maul. Good. Uh, they had like, um, uh, like action figures or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's just weird. It's just like, don't forget, kids. We're all someone's always, always watching. Everyone, yeah. Someone's always watching. They should Actually, have made a it, good lesson because it's true. <laughs> it should be less creepy though. Like they should have made it a different. Santa less should creepy be less face. creepy. <laughs> that true. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, how far did your parents go for the whole Santa thing? Because my dad once burnt skid marks into the front lawn. <gasps> wow. Like slay skid marks into the front lawn. Yeah. No. I. I. I mean, like, not that far. Not no, that far. Not that far. No. Yeah. It got to the point where, like, we, we used to do the milk and cookies thing, and then it got to the point where, like, my dad was like, "Santa prefers a beer. <laughs> leave oh, a yeah. beer. I think out we had that once or twice. <laughs> yeah, leave, that, yeah. leave a beer out for Santa. I mean, it just gets impractical though. Yeah. If if you, if a child starts to question the logistics of like having one mouthful of a beer, yeah, a few billion times in a night. <laughs> That's it's unsafe, is what it that's is. That's drink driving. His his liver's just like <laughs> supernatural. Uh, so back to hermits, yes. please. Um, so hermits would sometimes be asked to make themselves available to guests, answering questions and providing counsel. In some cases, the hermits would not communicate with visitors, functioning instead like a perpetual stage play or live diorama. Fun. Uh, in return for their services in residence, hermits would generally receive a stipend in addition to room and board. Good. So they're just kind of like they a servant are there. that is not allowed to talk to people or encouraged to talk to people, depending on who <laughs> depending. you work for. Yeah, which do you think you'd prefer? Uh, oh. Would you want to interact with people as a? Because I feel like that would be fun, but also, if, yeah, if people it, were coming to me for like sage advice from a guru, yeah, definitely, because I would give some really fun advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I there, there have been hermitages. Usually they're run by like a council or something right. that they have like this. And it's like a caretaker position, but it's called a hermitage. Right. And you are literally like, you're not allowed to have a phone or anything. You just have to like li- exist in this place and people will sometimes come to see you huh. um, as you're like the hermit of this place. Wow. And yeah, so... <clears throat> Where does this happen? Okay, so... Professor Gordon Campbell of the University of Leicester uh, suggests that Francis of Paola was among the first of the trend living as a hermit in 15th century in a cave in his own father's estate. 
He later served as confidant and advisor to King Charles VIII. That's like when you get mad at your mum and dad when you're a kid and you go, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm running, running away. away and you just yeah. go and sleep on the back porch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, so thereafter, throughout France, estates of, and of dukes and other lords uh, included often included like small chapels and other buildings where resident religious hermit could remain in attendance. According to Campbell, the first estate with a well-known hermitage, which included a small house, chapel and garden, was the Chateau de, Ga- de Gaelton, uh, renovated by Charles Cardinal de Bourbon during the 16th century. So uh, they really became like, that's popular. A, that's a good drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they became popular with the British aristocracy during the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, okay. Contemporary accounts suggest that uh, suggest the Weld family kept an ornamental hermit on in a purpose-built hermitage in the Lulworth Estate in Dorset. Of equivalent novelty, the Welds also maintain a mimic fort and harbour beside the adjoining lake. What is that? What is a mimic fort? So it's just kind of like a fort and harbour, but it's miniature and built on a lake instead of on a coastline. So they're just kind of like, hey, it's, it's kind of like a rich person's really lazy and boring theme park. (laughs) <laughs> gotcha Cool Yeah cool. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha I'm yeah. there, I'm with it So those are garden hermits I love that Good Big fan of that uh, Yeah, I, I really like that <laughs> um, <laughs> That's really fun I have fun. a new ambition uh, Yeah, man <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is the perfect millennial job, right? Totally Oh, yeah it's like, You need a bit of time away from you your just, phone You just give me a house and furniture And I just have to live there? <laughs> I don't okay. have to pay rent or anything Yeah <laughs> Um well, guys, I'm going to talk about something that I fucking really enjoy reading about, mm-hmm. um, which is um, nuclear semiotics or the Human Interference Task Force. Oh, So my. to break it down, this is the field of study of how to communicate, c- communicate to humans millions of years in the future oh. about buried nuclear remnants because the half-life of a lot of nuclear remains mm-hmm. right. is literally millions of years. Yep. How do we warn people That's so millions weird. of years in the future that we've buried dangerous shit here? Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's really interesting. So it arose in 1981 when a team of engineers, anthropologists, nuclear physicists and behavioural scientists and others convened on behalf of the US Department of Energy uh, and Bechtel Corp. The goal of this human interference task force was to find a way to reduce the likelihood of future humans unintentionally uh, intruding on radioactive waste isolation systems. So um, the problem that they were there to discuss... uh, So... Uh, was, yeah, when atomic or fusion bombs are detonated in a war or nuclear power plants are used in times of peace and a naturally high amount of radioactive waste is produced. The material will threaten human life and health for thousands of years. Consequently, nuclear technology necessitates the creation of a secure means of terminal storage for such materials for an unusually long period of time. Mm. Unfortunately, there is no method available to continuously provide the necessary knowledge about the location of nuclear waste over thousands of years. The culture of earlier centuries becomes incomprehensible when it is not translated into new languages every few generations. Like, I think the earliest language, we have the Rosetta Stone, right? Which I think is maybe around 2,000, 3,000 years old. Mm. And even there's, there's like two two to four languages on there. Mm. And I think we can comprehend three of them. Yeah, I, um, think, I think there's five languages and we can only yeah we comprehend three. Three of them, right? So, and that, yeah, that's 3,000 years old. Some Again, some half-lives are millions of years old. Millions of years. Mm. Um, 
national institute the other the other issues are like um national institutions do not exist longer than a few hundred years even religions are not older than a few millennia and do not typically hand down scientific knowledge right Furthermore, the, necessi- the necessary length of storage is disputed among specialists. One work group in Germany concluded that nuclear waste must be separated from the biosphere up to 1 million years, about 30,000 human generations. Early assumptions were based on a period of 10,000 years, which seems to be too short given the half-life of certain radioactive isotopes. Plutonium is uh, 24,000 mm. years, right? Wow. Um, the written historical tradition of humanity, in contrast, is only about 5,000 years old. Yeah. War, uh, warnings in cuneiform script, for example, we could not interpret. Interpret. Yeah. Uh, uh, could be interpreted by some specialists, rather, I beg your pardon. Sure. But others, such as the writing of the Indus Valley Civilization, are already ineligible after a few thousand years. Yeah. So um, this is where it gets really fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and the solutions that people come up with. Cool. Triangles. Just Break that down. Triangles. Also, triangles? Yeah. yeah. Triangles are constant. Triangles okay. are constant. Yeah. We do like triangles, the pyramids. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Triangles I, I got there? lost. I mean, I, I'm not a... Pythagoras? Semiotics professor. No, that's true. I think triangles... Can I, can I, can I counter so, uh, maybe a more ridiculously complicated method? An atomic sure. priesthood. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so so literally setting a section of the population aside to pass down knowledge yes. from generation to generation. Yes. An atomic priesthood would get. Uh, so this was this was the um, an idea uh, proposed by Thomas uh, Seabook. The linguist Thomas Seabook was a member of the Bechtel Working Group, who were part of the uh, human uh, the Human Interference Task Force. Building on earlier suggestions, uh, he proposed the creation of an atomic priesthood, a panel of experts where members would be replaced through nominations by a council, similar to the Catholic Church, hmm. uh, which has presided and authorised their message for over 2,000 years, right? We can disagree about the Catholic Church to the cows come home, right. but they've managed to They're stick around, around for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the atomic priesthood would have to preserve the knowledge about locations and dangers of radioactive waste by creating rituals and myths. The priesthood would indicate off-limit areas and the consequences of dis- disobedience. This approach does, however, have a number of critical problems. An atomic priesthood would gain political influence based on the contingencies like that the it would ob- overuse, <laughs> right. oversee. Like just because of like the danger that it has, it would gain. Yeah, yeah. Um, the system of information favors the creation of hierarchies. Mm-hmm. The message could be split into independent parts. So, like, one sect has part of the se- information, the other sect has the other part. And I mean, to- there are lots of movies about all of these contingencies. Exactly. <laughs> right. I think, like, I think um, The Fifth Element yes. has an interesting example. It's yeah. got the idea of the priesthood who yeah. know about The Fifth Element and it's passed down, like... And I think the first part of the movie takes place in, like, 1910 and then the second half of the movie takes place in 25th century. Yeah. Mm. Love that film. Uh, information about waste sites would grant power to a privileged class. People from outside this group might attempt to seize this information by force. Communism, but for nuclear. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's the atomic priesthood. Um, Let me have a look. Uh, Another guy suggested um, the genetic creation of flowers that changed colour the closer they were to... um, Or changed... hmm. He also described a biological coding of DNA in a mathematical sense. Mm. Uh, which would re- reproduce itself automatically. Information plants would only grow near a terminal storage site and would inform humans about the dangers. So it would, they would grow in a specific place yeah. and when people saw the flowers, they would be like, we can't go there. But the, pro- right. the problem with doing that based on radiation is radiation increases the chance of mutation and so 
that trait would probably evolve out because oh, there's no, way, well, let's no reason see. to select for it. Lamb acknowledged the problem with his idea that humans would be unlikely to know the meaning of atomic flowers 10,000 years later. Yeah, well, that's, that's my thinking. That's the like, basic flower, yeah. Like, if I you have a legitimate, a legitimate answer to this problem. Oh, can I, can I just get to the fucking most wild one? Yes, please. Cats. <laughs> <laughs> the movie? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, radiation cats. So oh. humans and cats have cohabitated for m- millennia. Yeah. Almost. Doing it right now. Yeah, doing it. There's one Absolutely. right here in this fucking house. Yeah. Um, Francois Bastide um, suggests that we are genetically mutate cats so that when they get closer to radiation, they change colour. Oh. Their fur changes, like they would glow. Yeah. Pretty much is the idea. And then they would go, oh, why is that cat glowing? I'm not going over there. Yeah. <laughs> Couple questions. Yeah. Firstly, uh-huh. if we can create glow in the dark cats, why haven't we? That's a good point. True, true. Second, uh, how is that any different to the flowers? I think it was more that I think the, it circumvents the the issue that Old Mate had, where he was like, they wouldn't know about the flowers ten thousand years from now. Right. Whereas we have like we oh, have cohabitated like with cats. cats and we like right. cats. Sure, we wouldn't. It would it would probably be easier we, to yeah. retain the message. I think mm. is the idea. Okay. Um, there's a couple of others. Uh, let me have a look. Zane, what's your what's your concept? Yeah. What do we, What do you think? So there's a concept. Kind of like autocracy yeah. or whatever, it's called a geniocracy. Mm-hmm. You just give it to the scientists, just right. give control of the entire world to, to scientists. the scientists, to scientists uh-huh. and then I mean, then don't take it away from them. Right? Yeah. Okay. And the but end. then that would be that would probably formulate something like an atomic priesthood, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. Mm. But the atomic priesthood would is be in put in charge at the start. <laughs> right. So we, there's no 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 pretenses here. We're no. just gonna put it's like, the okay. Yeah. So this is a big problem. So you you're there so mm. that you can control yeah. the problem mm. and you know fix everything yeah. else because fix, yeah. climate change. Exactly. <laughs> We need someone to do it. Yeah, so I just find this really interesting, and I love it when it's brought up in fiction and games and that sort of thing. Like, um, did you guys play Horizon Zero Dawn at all? No, I didn't. Um, it, it was a it was a really good game about yeah. um, like human civilization had like they gone to the point where they invented AI, and then AI like the Matrix had kind of brought down human civilization. Mm. So it had regressed to a point of like tribal kind of hunter gatherer society, yeah. but with like, but with an aversion to technology. So all these machines and stuff are ro- like animal machines are mm. roaming around. Robot dinosaurs. Robot dinosaurs sort yeah. of thing. Um, and yeah, like it was in the future, but it was more of a hunter-gatherer kind of situation. Mm. And so, yeah. And then there was things like this where like different sex knew different parts of like humans hist- humanity's history yeah. and like what was happening where. And it was like very similar to like this atomic priesthood kind of idea. Mm. Um, I think there's a couple of others that I just really want to rattle off. Um, yeah, so the Waste Isolation Pilot Plan has done extensive research into development of uh, such messages. Since today's written languages are unlikely to survive, the research team has considered pictograms and hostile architecture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good... Like, if you just put, like, a, a laser turret there, yeah. that is, as soon as anyone... With very clear markings, and as soon as anyone goes near it, it zaps them. Yeah. yeah. And then you put those markings wherever you don't want them to go. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Our texts were proposed to be translated into every UN written language. The design of the site was itself to convey a symbolic message as summarised below. This place is a message and part of a system of messages. Pay attention to it! Exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> Sending this message was important to us. We considered ourselves to be a powerful culture. This place is not a place of honour. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing is valued here. 
What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger. The danger is a particular is in a particular location. It increases towards a center. The center of a danger is here of a particular size and shape and below us. The danger is still present in your time as it was in ours. The danger is to the body and it can kill. The form of the danger is an is emanation of energy. The danger is unleashed only if you substantially disturb the place physically. This place is best shunned and left untainted. Hmm. It's clear. It's interesting, yeah. yeah. Like um and then I think the the final thing was like um simple pictograms like a skull would transcend a picture of a skull would probably sure. transcend yeah. languages, right? Because yeah. you can pretty much be like skull, death, death, not good. Except if you're a pirate, which it could mean booty. It could mean True. booty. But then, and then you then, literally want to dig like, it out. Dig but, it then, out. <laughs> but then, like, you got to offset like the the cost reward kind of thing. Most people would avert it. The pirates, you're getting rid of some criminals there, right? Sure. So it's more it's, it's more of a crime based um unless like the, unless the, the general populace also knows that pirates might put a skull to unless a unless unless, mark like, their booty. Oh, unless we yeah. regress into a pirate based culture. Yeah. What Look. if in future skull means yes? Yeah, what, what if, if skull means yes? What if in future skull means yeah? Yeah. <laughs> what if skull um, means built here? Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> built underground um, bunker here. We just don't know. <laughs> yeah, so uh that's nuclear semiotics. Nice. I like that. I find it really fucking interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. Like, I find the idea of how to communicate with the remnants of... Either the remnants of our society mm. or aliens that come and are like... True, this yeah. is our planet now. Or the intelligent fungus that comes after us. Yes, all the intelligent that, fungus. Yeah. What's, there's a future I'm a bit where like they travel 10,000 years into the future mm. and they go they do the Planet of the Apes thing where it's like the apes they blew everything up and then the cow people they yeah. came and got yeah. them and then the giraffe people oh and the <laughs> slime people got them too <laughs> oh, and this boy. is like Statue of Liberty after Statue of <laughs> yeah. Liberty after Statue of Liberty <laughs> alright I want to talk about Sniglets <laughs> yeah do it man good uh, it says at the start, uh, this article is about the linguistic phenomenon uh, for the article of clothing, also known as a singlet, see sleeveless shirt. But we're not talking about singlets, we're talking about sniglets. Wait, are sniglets singlets? Sniglets are not singlets. Okay, but No, but if you, were looking, if you were looking for a singlet, which is like sniglet, but with the I and N mixed right, around, so if you, made a typo. you would look for, you, if you made a typo, yeah. Have a look at sleeveless shirts. You might look, you know, be more what you're looking for. This is a sneak. You getting your shirts from Typo? What? Did you oh. did you say Typo? Oh, okay. That's no, good. did I misunderstand? <laughs> no, man. For any international listeners in Australia, Typo is a stationary is a very hipster based stationary store, and they do not sell sneakers. Yeah, they have a great uh, sneakers. Wait a second. Oh no. So a sneaker. Oh yeah. god! Oh god! This is going to be a tough one. We haven't one. done this in a while. I was noticing it before. Yeah. I am struggling to articulate as much as I usually yeah. do. The tip, articulatory of the agility, and, and the teeth and the lips. Unique New York. Unique New York. A sniglet. Yeah, a sniglet. Is an often humorous word made up to describe something for which no dictionary word exists. Uh, it was introduced in the 1980s TV comedy series, not necessarily the news. And Sniglets were generated and published in significant number, along with submissions by fans, in several books by Rich Hall, beginning with his Sniglets, Sniglets for Kids, and more Sniglets in the mid-1980s. Uh, so Rich- oh, so like uh, 
Oh, I know one. I know one of these. Yeah. It's um it's for gum underneath the table. It's like a Oh yeah. It's like um, a wad. No, there's a twad or something. It's a, a twad. A twad. A discarded <laughs> gum found beneath tables and countertops. Yucky. Uh, so these are just like, you know, made up words uh, that describe uh, obscure phenomena. Um, and yeah, so there was a HBO comedy series in the 80s called Not Necessarily in the News, wherein Rich Hall, the comedian, um, would come up with a bunch of them. Um, a bun- you know, some include um, Aquadextrous, which is possessing the ability to turn the bathtub's faucet with your toes. Uh, all right. Uh, cast capers, which are dead actors who appear on television. Uh, twads, as, as said before. Um Esoaso, one who swerves through a service station to avoid a red light. Um, <laughs> the glutetic chair, the chair design that's found in movie theaters. Um, that's the glutetic chair. Icelanch. I mean, there is already a word for that, right? It's but just, what is it? It's a movie theater chair. I mean, I guess. But glutetic chair is exactly the same amount. Of- it's less words. <laughs> All right. Technically, it is less words. So. Ice lanch is when ice at the bottom of an upturned glass suddenly moves towards the mouth as one attempts to finish drinking the liquid. That's isn't that, isn't that like the that country one. next to Greenlanch? Ayo, you got it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm that back. was a like good, that our first good joke of unfeatured articles. <laughs> we did it. Um, uh, a joke salt, which is when someone insults you, you call them on it, and they say, oh, it was just a joke. That's a joke salt. <laughs> um, it's just a joke, bro. Just a joke. Just a prank. It's just a prank, bro. A Larry is a frayed toothbrush. Sure. Uh, uh, sure, just sure. Larry. You know, just why not? Yeah. I feel like they didn't try much. Yeah, no, that, one, that was an off day. Um, a premble-memble-mation is the act of checking that a letter is in a mailbox after it has been dropped. Uh, the a Oh, a profanotype is the symbols that uh, are used by cartoonists to replace swear words I like uh, in comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Profanotype. Uh, snackmosphere is the pocket of air found inside snack and or potato chip bags. Mm. Um, They've been getting bigger. Yeah. It's probably like 60% of the bag. Yeah. You know, they serve a purpose, right? You know why they're there. Yeah, but what I'm saying is <laughs> big chip is using it <laughs> as an excuse yeah. to put less chip in it's the for chip like bag. Packaging them together, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's so they don't crunch the chips. Yeah. Yes, I know, but there doesn't need to be that much air. What I'm saying is there used to be less air, the chips a, were fine. This is also a phenomenon. Like Cadbury cream eggs used to be a lot bigger than they are, but yeah. they and they do label it the 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 grammage goes down yeah. every year. Every it's year. to keep it healthier. Sure. Fuck off. No, keep it's not. Populace. Cadbury aren't concerned with keeping me healthy. <laughs> no, but that's what they say. That's if, like when they... If Mr. Cabri was next to me, he'd be like, ooh, another top deck, you fat fuck. Here you go. <laughs> That's $5. Yeah. Huh? That's $5. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously these are very comedic words designed for comedy, um, but in a 1990 interview, Hall, uh, the creator of them, was asked if the Sniglets books were completely for comedic value. He answered, yeah, well, no. I wouldn't say they're completely for comic value. I mean, I get letters from schools all the time saying how they've incorporated a Sniglet book into their reading program. You can look at a lot of the words and sort of break them down into their etymological origins. And you can learn a lot about how and where words derive from. When you assign this frailty of human nature... uh, When you design this frailty of human nature a word, then the word has to work. It has to either be a hybrid of several other words or have a Latin origin or something. 
Uh, Anne Westcott-Dodds, A Handbook for Substitute Teachers, and Marsha L. Tate's Reading and Language Arts Worksheets Don't Grow on Tendrites, 20 Literacy Strategies That Engage the Brain, suggests creating Sniglets as a classroom activity, and so bear out Mm. his claim. So there you go. It's more than just funny words. Love it. But, I mean, it's mostly just funny words. It is mostly just just funny funny words. Um, That's fair. There's another uh, sort of uh, similar uh, thing called a daffination. Um, Daffination is... It's kind of cheese, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, it's a pun format involving... I, I have realised that a lot of my jokes on this podcast is James says something and I go, that's, that's this a other thing, isn't similar it? similar sounding <laughs> thing, isn't it? Um, which is a form of daffination. Because a daffination is a pun format involving the reinterpretation of an existing word on the basis that it sounds like another word or group of words. Yeah, so... Wow. I yeah. mean, I know You've been doing daffinations the whole time. I've been doing daffinations. Because Piers, Piers Morgan yes. is uh, it's, it's uh, countryside. Countryside. Yeah. It's so, to kill okay. Piers Morgan. What? So, okay. So the way, the, the way, the way it works, uh, right, is like the word avoidable. Definition, what a bullfighter tries to do. Avoid a bull. <laughs> right? Or Stuff like that. decadent. Having 10 teeth. Decadent. Like dental. And Decker, like ah, I get it. Um, devastation. Where did Piers Morgan come from? Um, countryside. Yeah. To kill Piers Morgan. Countryside. I get it. There you go. There you go. Um, other examples. It's like a regicide, but for cunts. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other inc- examples include uh, devastation, uh, which is where people wait for buses. Are we going on record by saying that Piers Morgan is a cunt? Mm. I, I'm I'm happy to endorse that. Yeah. Right. I mean that's the definition given in the uh, Wikipedia article. Then that's fair. That's we're, we're doing we're doing nothing but um, reporting. Yeah, this is um, journalism. Yeah, we're journalists. Uh, Unlike Piers Morgan. Yeah, Woo! <laughs> got him. Devastation is where people wait for the buses because it's devastation. Um, dilate is to live long because <laughs> you dilate. Um. Impolite. Oh, these are delightful. These are great. These are like popping candy yeah. for, the, for for comedy. What do you think impolite is? Um, am I in? Am I fucking a man named Paul Light? It's a flaming goblin. It's an imp alight. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, indistinct. It's where where you put your dirty dishes indistinct. <laughs> that one wasn't good. That I one wasn't good because there's like letters in indistinct that aren't in in the sink. What about <laughs> oboe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a French tramp. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a French hobo. Oh, hobo. Uh, <laughs> <an> hobo. Uh, <laughs> a paradox can either be two doctors or where one has tied two boats. A paradox. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do like three more. Yeah. A yeah. propaganda? Ooh, oh, yep. A, uh, a gentlemanly goose. A propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that one. <laughs> uh, pasteurize is too far to see because it's pasteurized. Yeah, it is pasteurized, that's true. Need the uh, glasses. <laughs> um, relief is what trees do in spring because they relief. It's, oh, man. Didn't Douglas Adams have like a book of this I sort of stuff? I think so. He... Um, because I know, I know that uh, Fry and Laurie used to have a, a bit on their... Oh, really? On their show, where they would do things like this, like right, like they named the action of pulling out nose hair and hiding them in your pocket so as not to appear impolite or and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'll I'll go I'll get I've got another one. Um, 
Some of them are like bad. Like fortunate uh, is like consumption of an expensive meal, and mm. it's fortune eight, and it's like okay, all right. Oh, no, no, wrong. <laughs> isolate. Me not on time. <laughs> isolate. <laughs> Man. Oh. Okay, I think I that's like a- <laughs> I like propaganda. Propaganda was that good. was my favorite. Propaganda is good. Um. And Just a gentlemanly goose. <laughs> protein, which is uh, in favor of youth. The protein. No one should be protein. I like the teens. I get around them. Bit too okay, much. Okay, Jeffrey Epstein. Hey, all right, all right, whoa. Okay, all right, whoa. Whoa. Don't speak ill of the murdered. <laughs> uh, that's all I got on Daffinations and Sniglets. Sniglets. And Love that's it. it. That's the the last of the three. The, us, this three. Yep. Round. How are we feeling? I like. Let's go. Let's go. Do it again. What, what do you uh, do, Zane? I did the Garden Hermits. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. And um, what did you do? I did the uh, Nuclear Semiotics. Oh, nice. Semiotics. I did Daffinations and Sniglets. And let's. All right. On three, two, one. Garden Sniglets. Hermit. Oh, oh we no, did it we've again. We did it again. You know what? I'm going gi- to give myself the win this one. <laughs> Stop it. Now we are like twelve dollars and five cents. Yeah. Oh god. Um so I voted for Garden. Hang Hermits. on, I've got an idea. Okay. Can you vamp for me? Yeah, alright. Um so I go I voted for Garden Hermits. Uh Zane voted, voted for, for nuclear semiotics and Curtis voted for mine. Um which uh here we go. Oh, we're getting a, a phone call that's happening. Yeah, I'm calling Riley McNamara. <gasps> See if he answers. Come on, dude. Come on, you got this. Man. Come on, Raleigh. Actually, he might be at his dad's birthday. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. This is so funny. Uh, this would be so funny. Just while we're waiting. Uh, a lobster is a weak tennis player. Weak tennis player? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... Hi there, Riley. Please leave your name and number and I'll oh. get back as soon as I can. Thank you. And I'll get back to you, Raleigh. Hey, Raleigh, it's Curtis, James, and Zane here. We're calling live from the podcast. Hey. Uh, we just wanted your opinion on uh, which one should win this little section. We had, uh, what was yours, Zane? Mine was the uh, Garden Hermits. Uh, garden Hermits, Raleigh. We had Garden Hermits. And then uh-huh. I did Nuclear Semiotics. And uh, James did Sniglets. And uh, what was Daffinations. Daffinations. So if you could just give us a call back or text me your vote on that one, that'd be great. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Raleigh. I love you. Well, well, we'll wait for that to get we'll back. We'll wait for that to get uh, back. In the meantime, we're going to have a little break and come back with our final round. Our final ever articles of unfeatured oh articles. Oh my God. What? Nah, just let it happen. It's still running. Whatever. James, Zane, I've just got a story for you quickly before Please. we... I think I've already told you, James. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of nights ago, I went out for a drink with good friends of the podcast. Oh, yes. Drew Cannon mm-hmm. and Chris Payton. Mm-hmm. And they've both been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, also, Renan, Brisbane musician, Harrison Peroz. Good. And uh, just good guy, Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I had a bunch to drink. I uh, don't get a lot of chances to go ham anymore. So, you know... A bunch to drink Went back to uh, Chris's place uh, Chris lives just around the corner from me Which is very convenient um, So I was sitting there 
at like one o'clock in the morning being like, how am I going to get home? Could I just walk? I could just walk, couldn't I? But mm. I was like, my feetsies hurt though. I don't want to get an Uber because that's going to be like eight bucks and it's like two minutes around the corner. And then I was outside having a smoke, a cigarette mm. and uh, I saw a, a Neuron a skit- scooter. Oh, right. <laughs> which is a lime scooter, but orange. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'm just going to take a Neuron home, put the helmet on, got on the scooter and off I went. Zoomed up the hill, zoomed down the hill, got about 25 metres before outside of the Flaming Galar pub, shout out, mm-hmm. I hit the curb and went straight over the fucking handlebars and hit the ground really hard in front of about 10 foreign backpackers. <laughs> Were you wearing a helmet? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, however, congratulations. I thought I'd broken my wrist <laughs> until this morning. I was like, there's a cha- good chance I've broken my wrist. Uh, as you can see, Zane, I have oh, wow, road rash yeah. all the way out my arm. <laughs> my knee is incredibly broken and was bleeding quite profusely. By I also, broken, you mean damaged and not actually fractured? Yes. <laughs> Did I say broken? You said broken. It was damaged. <laughs> um, but was what, what was broken was the Neuron scooter. Um. And here I am here to announce that to Neuron, if they'd like to get in contact with Unfeatured Articles, it's uh, unfeaturedarticles at com. Um, uh-huh. Because, yeah, uh-huh. I full-on hit the curb and the wheel flew off. Wow. And I just left that there. And I was like, that's not my problem. Uh-huh. Walked 10 metres down the road, got on another one and went home. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story, guys. And that's been Kurt- the last Curtis Lang story of Unfeatured Articles. Of Unfeatured Articles. Wow. Momentous. You don't think that... Because don't you have to have an account... To do the yeah, scooters, but like, yeah. so couldn't they just link the broken scooter to the account that was being used as it was broken? Um, they don't know when it was broken. That's because they do just get left on the fucking road, right? Yeah, like some yeah. dude could have just come along and hit it with his car. They don't know it was me. They don't know dudes and their cars are everywhere. Exactly, D- dude. Where's my car? Where's my car? Did it hit a scooter? Who knows? My car is heavy. Just letting you know that movie does not hold up. Dude, where's my car? I can. I could have told you that for free. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you that for free. Right, Good, no, but I, I, just, I'm, I just assume. I'm just assuming you rewatched the film recently, I, and I could have told you without you having to do that. It was a while ago. I was like, "Hey, I remember enjoying that sometime." Okay. No, really. It's got Ashton huh. Kutcher in it, right? Yeah, it does. Was it, does. it, was that it during that '70s show, Fame, or yes. after? Yes. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I that. Um, I mean. It sort of surprises me, sort of doesn't surprise me. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't planning on rewatching Dude Where's My Car, but uh, now I probably won't. You know, you know what movie didn't even hold up when it was released? What? Freddy Got Fingered. Yeah, I can fucking imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I watched a lot of movies. <laughs> what film? I didn't even know that was a film. What happens? Does oh, he get fingered? fingered? Uh, yes. Um. Is it played for laughs? It sounds yeah. horrific. There was there was a comedian that's whole thing was like just being real weird. Yeah. Um, and so he's the main character or like the brother of the main character. He's uh-huh. Freddy. Uh, and so, yeah, it's... it's Look, you, if you don't know about it, you don't need to know about it. <laughs> I'm going to do Freddy Got Fingers. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's part of that like 90s... Uh, weird yeah, fuck cringe the, comedy. Fuck the yeah. late nineties to early two thousands was a weird time for cinema. Indeed. Uh, but I tell you what, wasn't a weird time for cinema. You tell me. Lionel Royce, an European and Austrian American actor Lionel of the stage, Royce. screen, and big screen. What's his name again? Lionel Royce. Ah, okay. Uh, whose stage name was Leo Rouse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. 
you know, he had a fairly uh, good career. He began his career in, in Vienna, Austria in 1919 before moving to Berlin in 1925. However, being Jewish, um, his work began to be restricted in the 1930s because of the Nazi Germany regime. Mm. Uh, fleeing the Nazis, he returned to Austria in 1936, where to hide his heritage, he created the persona of Kaspar Brandhofer, a Tyrolean present, and became a sensation as a natural actor on the stage of Vienna. Huh. So he just made up a new identity... Yeah. <laughs> okay. And be- kept kept acting. Yeah. Sure. So despite having already been quite successful in Vienna and Germany, he just wanted a better backstory. Yeah. So he adopted the stage name um, uh, in order to get work, uh, more work as an actor, having come from somewhere where um, they weren't really they they didn't really know him in this new place. Mm. Uh, he began an elaborate subterfuge. He retreated to a cabin. He owned up in the mountains. There he lived and studied the mannerisms of the local Tyrolean farmers. While learn, lean, letting his hair and beard grow long, he practiced at adapting their ways of speech and movement. After a year, he showed up in, to create the persona of Kaspar Brandhofer, a peasant having grown his full beard and hair. To further hide his identity, he bleached all his hair, head and body by bathing every ten days in diluted hydrogen peroxide. Oof. Yeah. He also had obtained papers from one of the peasants he had been observing in the mountains. Obtained is in quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) Armed with this new uh, Christian identity. Uh Uh-huh. Ah, I see. He began presenting himself as a naturally uh, taught actor. Having worked with director Max Reinhardt years before, Rus was fearful that the director would recognise him, but Reinhardt did not. In fact, his ability so impressed the director that Reinhardt recommended him to Ernst Lothar in Vienna. And Ernst Lothar, I'm pretty sure, uh, was one of the most famous and well-appreciated uh, and well-known um, yeah, directors in, in the early 20th century. Like, he was, like, one of the big naturalism guys. Like, while mm-hmm. Brecht was off doing his thing, mm. the, the opposite side of that was, like, no, the best way to do theatre is to be really grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, uh, Lothar gave him a featured role in the stage adaption of Arthur Schweitzer's novel Fräulein Elsa. Many of the actors in the play had worked with Rose over the years, so once again he knew that he could not drop the character of Bronhofer for a second. Of course. He had yeah. worked with these people before and <laughs> yeah. was like, I am a different person. <laughs> His performance was hailed as a great success, and Bronhofer was touted as a potential star, with one paper calling him the sensation of the evening. Wow. Other accolades uh, came in naming him the humble peasant of the Austrian Alps, the finest natural actor of his generation, while the Nazis lauded him as proof of the superiority of Aryan blood. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing another <laughs> fuck the Nazis of article. Of course, of course. <laughs> Lothar gave him a three-year contract. However, after the reviews were in, he announced his true identity. <laughs> Rather than being pleased with the reviews, he felt emptiness and loneliness, and that he felt the necessity of his assuming the Brandhofer persona was an indication that the Nazi regime's power was growing to an untenable level, which is very fair. Mm. Um, The resulting uproar of his fraud caused him once again to have to relocate, this time to the United States, where he had been given a contract by MGM after Louis B. Meyer had seen his performance in Vienna. So, to escape Nazi Germany, he fled... Mm-hmm. Created an entirely different character and persona. Right. Lived that persona for a couple of years. Yeah. Did some very... Um... <laughs> Here we go. I just got a message from Riley. <gasps> Here we go. He said, gotta be garden hermits. Nice. <laughs> nice. I have to agree. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. 
You are a legend. Um, your voice was on the podcast once again. One last time. Uh, wow, that's delightful. Um, so, yeah. Um, he then went on to have a quite a great career in the United States. Um, and... Um, his death, he died in, in 1946. He joined a USO tour uh, going to entertain the troops in the Pacific Theater. While the tour was in Manila, Royce died suddenly of a heart attack. Um, the irony of Royce's film career is that he ended up portraying the very people he had fled from in Germany and Austria. In the 1990s, a play about Royce's life was written by Felix uh, Mitterer. That's a very German mm. name that I can't pronounce. Hmm. Titled, oh God, and a very German, in the lion's den in English. <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, yeah, I believe he portrayed a lot of um, like yeah. So he was cast as um a a Nazi spy. He was he often played like Nazi officers yeah. and those oh, sort of wow. things in films afterwards. So wow, yeah, the yeah. irony of his was that his career like he had these a lot of meaty roles as these like villainous bad guys sort of thing. So yeah, just an interesting dude. I thought yeah, nice. to round out the unfeatured articles. Unfeatured articles, very good. Also, Nazis are bad. Nazis are bad. Nazis are bad. Mm. That's the official view of the podcast. Official view of Curtis Lang. And hopefully you, the listener. Hopefully. Although, as the time goes on, unfortunately it's becoming less and less... In contemporary society... It's becoming less able to guarantee that. If we're the ones who have to tell you that Nazis are bad, I don't know. Oh, you yeah. should reassess your, your life. Um, and so should we. Zane, do you have a, an article? I do. I have an article. It's a sciencey one. A sciencey one. Sciencey one. Uh, my article, and it's it's it, it did get a little bit of a feature a couple of years ago, but Ooh. it has been revisited and revisited because there's a bit of a conundrum in astron astronomical uh, societies. It's Oumuamua. Come again. Oumuamua. Aha. Uh-huh. O u m u a m u a. It's Hawaiian. Isn't that Thor's hammer? No, that's... <laughs> I did think the same Mio. thing, yeah. Omiomua in Hawaiian means scout. Okay. So it's the first known interstellar object detected passing through the solar system. <clears throat> so Right, so oh. a asteroid or whatever... Yes. ...coming from outside of our galaxy into yes. our galaxy. No, no, no. So interstellar... So from another star, so it could have oh. could have originated in the Milky Way, mm. but nothing outside of our uh, solar system. So comets and asteroids they right. exist as part of the solar system. Yeah, this is something that came in and left. That's right, because the Milky Way has like a huge ring of asteroids around the outside that kind of makes it hard for things to get in and out. I the think. solar system does. We have the asteroid belt. Yeah, solar system. Right. And I then, beg your and pardon. Then we yeah. have the Oort cloud around the outside of yeah. the solar system as well, mm. which basically, as something comes through, it sends things uh, uh, flying. Yeah. However, yeah. So this was discovered by Robert Werrick using the Pan Stars Telescope at uh, Haleakala Observatory in Hawaii. Uh, in October 2017, 40 days after it passed its closest point to the sun on 9th of September. When it was first observed, it was about 33 million kilometres from Earth, uh, about 85 times away, as far away as the moon, uh, and already heading away from the sun. So we caught it on its way out of the solar system. Right. What is very interesting about it Mm. 
is that it is about 80 times more shiny than any than the average uh, space rock. It is also has no uh, uh, comet coma. So as a comet gets closer to the sun, uh, things inside will heat up and it will release particulate matter. Yeah. So it has like a little bit of a corona, a little bit of an atmosphere. Right. It has none of that. Okay. So, uh, and it's, it's, it is a reddish color, but it's also shaped like a cigar. Oh. Like a very, it, between 100 and 1,000 meters long. Yeah. Uh, it is, yeah, shaped like a cigar. And most interesting, as it was approaching the sun, mm-hmm. uh, so as it was leaving the sun, it showed non-gravitational acceleration. Oh. Which means it showed acceleration that could not be accounted for by, by gravity alone. So it's moving of its own volition. It's speeding up in a way that we can't account for. Ooh, it's aliens. <laughs> and that's what people are thinking. It's aliens. What, how do you spell it? O-U. O-U. M-U-A. 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 Hell yeah. So all one word. Oh, wow. So <laughs> backtracking its trajectory, uh-huh. uh, the best guess that we have for where it came from or where it came from just before us is the star Vega in the something constellation. Um, uh, it, but even then, that's six, six degrees away from where we think it would be. Mm. Um because Vega, of course, every everything kind of moves in relation to itself. It also moves quite slowly for a comet. It kind of moves at the same rate that the galaxy rotates as well, um, mm, right. which which means that it could have started like somewhere very far away in the Milky Way and just made its way to us. However, uh-huh. its trajectory also leads us. Well, is the trajectory that people think it might take if it was using the sun to slingshot it in another direction. Dang. So it's come into our solar system, yeah. headed straight for the sun, accelerated around the sun, and headed off out of our solar system. Fuck. Um, and this is the first interstellar object that we have observed. Oh, there God. has since been another that is Ooh. in no way or shape uh, similar. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we did kind of look at the possibility of approaching it. Mm. Um, I'm seeing hypothetical space missions in the... Yes. That's good. good. Uh, So the Initiative for Interstellar Studies uh, launched Project Lyra to assess the feasibility of a mission to Oumuamua. Uh, Several options included sending a spacecraft to Oumuamua within a time frame of 5 to 25 years were suggested. Um, Different mission durations and their velocity requirements were explored uh, with respect to the launch date, assuming direct impulsive transfer to to intercept trajectory. But basically... With no discernible payoff, it's very unlikely that we're going to chase this thing a- yeah. around the uh, solar system. No. Um, so it is still in our solar system, but it is uh, heading out very quickly. Mm. Uh, so that is Oumuamua. Uh, yeah. so, so there's a new classification of, um, of interstellar object, which is I basically because yeah. you could have comet, you could have asteroid you could have whatever but yeah, yeah so this is it, it's now one eye which is the first of its kind uh, there has since been another one called two eye Borisov Borisov yes um, Borisov so yeah that's that's a Muir Muir it's a it ha- they have since released um, a 
uh, a statement saying that there is no evidence that it was anything other than space debris. Mm. Um, Sorry, can I just interrupt really quickly? You you can. Borisov has been estimated at being 14 times the size of Earth. Yes. Whoa. Dang. How staggering is it to realise that there is a comet out That's there, bigger than just the planet. hurtling it around yeah. that yeah. is bigger than than the planet that we live on. Ugh. <laughs> that we are, that we are currently burning to the ground. And it's and it's just chance that we're not going to run into it. Just m- <laughs> I, there was there was another article I was going to do tonight, which is I think is called the uh, the Fermox paradox, uh, which is like yeah, paradox, the, yeah. yeah if yeah. if the, which which is like let's talk about it. It's, <laughs> it's our last fucking episode. Why the yeah, fuck not? Just, because it's like, if aliens exist, why haven't we contacted yeah. them, right? Or why yeah. haven't Fermi they paradox, sorry, us? Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, the Fermi Paradox, named after Italian-American psychoist, is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and the various high estimates for their probability, such as those that result from uh, the Drake equation, which we won't. But like, uh, the basic points are, there are billions of stars in the Milky Way similar to the sun, with high probability, some of these stars have Earth-like planets, and if the Earth is typical, some may have already developed intelligent life. Mm. Some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, a step that Earth is investigating now. Even at the slow pace of uh, currently envisioned interstellar travel, the Milky Way galaxy could be completely traversed in a few million years. And since many of the stars similar to the Sun are billions of years older, that would seem to provide a huge amount of time for at least one civilization to have achieved this. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, uh, apparently, the the conversation aroused uh, aroused sorry arose when Fermi and this other guy were just chatting uh, to Edward Teller, and they were talking about like um, the men discussed recent UFO reports and, po- and the possibility of faster than light travel. The conversation moved on to other topics until during uh, uh, during the lunch they were having, uh, Fermi said, "Where the fuck is everybody?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so like yeah, it's just so it's just interesting like the mathematical probability like and the obvious almost obvious statement that with the size of the galaxy and the universe there is no way that we are in that we are unique. Well, I mean that that same sort of probability is the same thing that Elon Musk uses to um, ration that we are part of a. A simulation, because mm. if we if we are approaching a, a level where we can simulate the world, yeah, and the simulations that we make there would not know that they're not a simulation, yeah, and then they create the same simulation. It's just a telescoping of of simulations. Yeah. It's actually mathematically almost certain that we are in a simulation, and we just don't know it. Yeah. So, but what that means is like Fermi's paradox is that according to our current understanding, there should be life everywhere, but there isn't life everywhere. So what, what don't we what's understand? Happening? Yeah. yeah. Because we like we're moving towards cyborgs. We're moving towards yeah. AI. Sure. Like Dude, did you hear that the, the US is currently is currently testing um fucking cyborg? Like cybernetic Whoa, implants. Damn. Cyberpunk 2077 delayed until September, <laughs> but fucking the US Army's gonna have it done by, it by May. Yeah. I, I, also like, be, I also believe that I believe Korean scientists are <laughs> currently experimenting with uploading and downloading information from one brain to another. And fucking hell. Uh, yeah, so they're doing it with pilots. So Do you know what I find really interesting? The concept of like if immortality by if granting immortality in whatever form it is mm. is and we've just devolved into a conspiracy podcast now of course but granting <laughs> immortality if that becomes possible 
how do they choose at at like do they just give it to everybody on earth or do they go from this specific age or generation everyone has it now so what really in, in know, interests it's people, me it's the people that stay alive the people that the immortal people don't kill well get to be immortal <laughs> rich people right yes like yeah, that's it would be yeah. the rich yeah but like like imagine like they give it to everybody but they go everybody under 50 mm. immortality and forever right. but then like the everyone above 50 the last generation to die that's what i find really interesting is like mm. a storytelling or a fiction kind of also just revolution? Revolution? Revolution. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So this has been Unfeatured Articles, <laughs> and if you don't hear from us, it's because we have seized the means of production. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and for some reason cannot use them to yeah, produce yeah. the podcast. Well, what, what are we going to do if we've got the means of production? I mean, produce podcasts probably. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. That's all that's we know how to do. What I do. Well, one, put out the fires. Yes. <laughs> then two, we'll make more podcasts. <laughs> and so that's Omiwa. Love that. <laughs> Maybe Alien. Maybe, Maybe, Maybe not, Alien. But... I guess the the reassuring thing we can say is that it seems to have no interest in us. I know, so yeah, that's just... great. It's literally just using our star yep. as All an accelerator. Yeah. <laughs> All oh, right, fuck, that's funny. Are you guys ready for the final article? The final article of unfeatured articles. I'm so fucking ready, man. <laughs> I've been ready for this for two fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> I want to shed a light on something that. Uh, well, I think we don't talk about enough, um, but we do, you know, we use, we just don't talk about it. I've got the Wikipedia article for Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Why are you the king of segues, but also the king of like narrative arts? <laughs> you got to go out on a, on a tender note. Wikipedia is now, a multilingual. I yes. will say the first article you ever bought and the first article that was ever discussed was ferret legging. Yeah. Now, oh yeah. Today I found an article called squirrel fishing and I, oh. I was so tempted to bring it for that to be <laughs> oh, yeah. because it's very short and very uninteresting. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. when we start season three, oh, yeah. in, when we're 50, when we're doing a reunion tour, uh-huh. uh, we'll bring it back. After we'll the revolution. Yeah, yeah, after the rip. Wikipedia is a multilingual online encyclopedia created and maintained as an open collaboration project by a community of volunteer editors using a wiki-based editing system. Wikipedia was launched on January 15th, 2001 by Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger. Sanger coined its name as a portmanteau. Zane, of- can you play some some sort of like inspirational music? Can you play this? the full version of um, Purgatory? Purgatory in France. Just, you know... There we go. Larry Sanger coined its name as a portmanteau of wiki, which, here we go. Oh. The Hawaiian word for quick. Mm. Didn't know that. Didn't know that at all. And, get this, encyclopedia. Oh, what? Wow. That's, uh, who knew? <laughs> Initially an English lang- language encyclopedia, versions of Wikipedia in other language were quickly developed. With Actually, that- if you look it up in the dictionary, the uh, EA in... Wikipedia, it should be pronounced uh, Pedia. Pedia, so it should be Wikipedia. With at least 5,996,394 articles, the English Wikipedia is the largest of the more than 290 Wikipedia encyclopedias. Overall, Wikipedia comprises more than 40 million articles in 301 different languages, many of them unfeatured. <laughs> And by February 2014, it had reached 18 billion page views and nearly 500 million unique visitors per month. Where are they? Why aren't they listening to our podcast? (laughs) 
Um, in 2005, Nature published a peer review comparing 42 hard science articles from Encyclopedia Britannica and Wikipedia and found that Wikipedia's level of accuracy ap- approached that of Britannica, although critics suggested it might uh, that it might not have fared so well in a similar study of a random sampling of all articles. Um, so yeah, uh, the I mean the community is where uh, Wikipedia thrives. It is sort of the cornerstone of the whole thing, and it has uh, each article and each user of Wikipedia has an associated talk page. These form the primary communication channel for editors to discuss, coordinate, and debate. Uh, a 2007 study by researchers from Dartmouth College found that anonymous and infrequent contributors to Wikipedia are as reliable a source of knowledge as those contributors who register with the site. Jimmy Wales stated in 2009 that it turns out that over 50% of all edits are done by just 0.7% of the users. 524 people made wow. over 50% of all the edits on Wikipedia. And in fact, the most active 2%, which is 1,400 people, have done 73.4% of all edits on <laughs> Jesus the site. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So everything we know of Wikipedia, if you, all, most of the things we've done on Unfeatured Articles, there is a very good chance that it was done by these 1,400 people. 1,400, um, and they do... S- I've got, do, I've got to do some... Qu- and there's 18 billion pages? No, there's like 5 million... Oh, like 18 minutes. billion visits, yeah. right. Yeah. 5 million. Wait, I think there's a counter. You ready? You keep going. Yeah. Um, many? The oh. English Wikipedia has 5,996,394 articles. I'm going to round that up to 6 million. Yeah, 6 million articles. Uh, 38,094,120 registered editors and 124,412 active editors. An editor is considered active if they have made one or more edits in the past 30 days. Um, okay, according to my math, that means that each person yes. has edited around 3,800 articles each. Damn. And there's definitely more than one edit on each article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the English language, Wikipedia, is the biggest one. Uh, guess what the second biggest uh, language Wikipedia is with the most articles? Um, it's got Spanish? Fi- 5,300,000. What is it? Spanish? What do you think, Zane? It's either Spanish or Klingon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, maybe. Uh, Spanish is a good guess, but maybe. French? French, yeah. Or Cebuano. Or what is okay. that? What is that? And where did I don't even it? know what that language is. I'm you afraid. keep going. I'll look it up. Yeah, C E B U A N O. The third is uh, Swedish, then German, then French, Dutch, Russian, Italian, Spanish. Uh, Spanish has about two million. Uh, was that pol- the whole song? That, that was the whole song. Yeah, the whole do it again. song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we now are like twelve fifty. Yeah. Um, yeah it's Man, fine. we're just keeping getting the whole early. Um, yeah. Oh, it's in the Philippines. Oh, I see. Interesting. 20 million people in the Philippines. Wow. Uh, in terms of the accuracy of content, uh, critics argue that Wikipedia's open nature and lack of proper sources for most of the information makes it unreliable. Some commentators suggest that Wikipedia may be reliable, but the reliability of every, any given article is not clear. 
Editors of traditional reference works such as the Encyclopedia Britannica have questioned the project's utility and status as an encyclopedia. Wikipedia co-founder Jimmy Wales has claimed that Wikipedia has largely avoided the problem of fake news because the Wikipedia community regularly debates the quality of sources in articles. Sorry, I'm just getting my mic off the stand. No, that's good. That, yeah, nice I'm, just, I'm lounging back. It's I'll the end of the, the, it's the, end of the series. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Ooh. The reason... Hear that tap, tap, tapping. Oh, yeah. I must tap, sound tap, good in your ears, ladies and gentlemen. Heaven's door. Because uh, we're almost done. I have here... The reason I wanted to bring it up. I have the statistics of Wikipedia uh, in a site. Uh, that, you know, lists again those 6 million pages. Uh, 6 million content pages. 49 million pages overall. Including all pages on the wiki. Including talk pages, redirects, etc. Wow. How many words... In all the content pages of Wikipedia. 26 billion. 49 billion. It's three, three and a half billion. You guys went way over. Billion is a lot. Billion is so many. But just <laughs> considering the length of the average Wikipedia yeah, article yeah. that I read, it was like... Mm, <laughs> it's maybe it's like... a million... It's, yeah, it's, a billion is I like guess a, three billion. Three and a half. Oh, you're right. Thanks. Um, there are... Uh, 48,000 extended confirmed users, I guess. I don't know what that means. I'm one of them. Yeah. But there are zero. So there's, okay. Yeah. There's 1,142 administrators of Wikipedia. Yeah. There are 16 bureaucrats of Wikipedia. Uh, How do you get that job? Yeah, right. There are zero... Stewards of Wikipedia. What? It has stewards, zero. I suggest that we become the, the stewards. official stewards of Wikipedia. I think we can claim that honorary title. Done. Yeah, we were honor- honorary stewards of Wikipedia. I don't even know what a steward is or does. Mm. Uh, stewards are a global group context. of users with complete access to the wiki interface on all public Wikimedia wikis. <laughs> Let's be stewards, I think. Sure. I think. Give it to us, Wikipedia. I did All some right. quick maths, meaning that the average Wikipedia article has 500 words. Oh, okay. Mm. So, yeah, a little little less than... A little math for you there. Yeah. I'm going to put that on my Facebook page. Steward of Steward Wikipedia. Steward of Wikipedia. What a note to end on, James. There we go. All right. Can we, can we wind Let's down the music bring it back down. There? Let's bring it back down there. Whew. Boys, I'd like to ask a question. Please. Well, boys is very gendered. Boys, girls... In-betweens, yes. whatever you f- feel like, identity as whatever is in your soul. Yes. Um, what is your favourite episode of Unfeatured Articles? Zane, you've listened to every single one because you have to. <laughs> Thank you for that honour. Yeah. Um, you can get up my feed so I can have a little look. What's your favourite, uh, Curtis? My favourite yeah. uh, is it's a tie between... And they're both in the first season. Ah, yep. It's a tie between... The Star Wars episode that we did. Of course. Loved that. And the episode that came, I think, two episodes after that, where we talked about the Dick Museum in Iceland. Oh, yeah. I loved that episode. Oh, no. I've actually... No. Scratch those ones. You got it. It was the toilet paper episode. Oh, that was a good one. (laughs) Where I also think Bone Wars came up. Yeah, that's Um, right. Yeah, that toilet paper bit was... We've never gotten so passionate in the recording (laughs) room ever. It was so insane. It was good. How about you, James? Who I'm having a look. Um, we got a list. I got I've got everything here in front of me. Uh, I God. liked I liked our um, I liked our mid season wikia sort of interlude. I did too. I that think that fun. was a fun. 
I like the tractor episode was tractor episode was unmatched, unparalleled, real good, <laughs> very good. And the the episode we did with Alex where we did like, um, we 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 did um Groundhog Day three times. That was good. I liked when we did bits. I liked that. That was fun. He says with a challenging glance to Zane. <laughs> Is that Zane uh, made bits illegal in season two? Foreshadowing. <laughs> um, gosh, I this. Oh, is- I get it. Sorry, foreshadowing because I have another podcast. Oh, out. wink, 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 wink. Um, I liked a lot of our guest episodes. I liked Gina's I li- episode. Gina's like, episode was good. I liked Mud. Mud was mud, good. Like mud. mud was really good. Now, sorry, you're referring to the politician. Yeah. Or, or the. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. The politician. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah. Was that one? And we had Jake Paul on. Yeah. I yeah. liked um, James Keogh's Broken Links. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> that was fun. I liked whenever that came back. Yeah. I liked um, bullying Riley that one time <laughs> about Paris. <laughs> That was real early. I think, was like yeah. Yeah. I think it was like episode six yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Riley McNamara, Paris expert. Um, gosh, Fuck me. We had so much, so many good times. So many good times. I liked, uh, I even liked the Golden Girls. No, you did Thanks, not at mate. the time. Look, <laughs> I mean, I barely do now. We, but won, <laughs> we won an award at the TNC Christmas party for that. <laughs> I liked when Lee Pace came into oh. the studio. My best character ever. Um, I liked when I did Willy on Wheels. Shone a spotlight on that. I remember distinctly being like, James, I'm really fucking ill, man. Mm, I can't, yeah. I can't make it in. And James was like, I, all I got back was, don't worry, I've got this. We got it. <laughs> we nailed it. I was like, fine, go right. Um, I liked teeth. What I did didn't you, like. What teeth? did you think of teeth? I fucking hated teeth. I liked. Um, Gosh. I liked the episode where we had Grace on and yeah. it was like two o'clock in the morning for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, we were losing our fucking mind. And we just went to Subway after. Yeah, we went to Subway after. I did the $5 foot long subs. Yeah. Uh, I liked when we solved all the mysteries. Every single one. Every single we one. We did solve every murder. Every murder mystery. Um, we were, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see why the numbers haven't come from Murder in the Land of Oz over to us. But I know, right? We did, we did it. We, we did, did it. their we job did for it. them. Zane, what about you? I mean, I did say mud. You did say mud. You did say mud. I also I also really did like the, uh, I think it was first episode, um, I think it was Drew Buchanan brought on the Lizard Man. Yeah. <laughs> but on that same episode, there was Volcano Surfing and then and then Mr. Hands. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> Where I had been begged for weeks not to do it. Yeah. And then you were like, and then no, I did no. it. And then you just decided to. And then I felt ill afterwards. Yeah. I was so upset with myself. Yeah, you deserved that. Yeah, that's fair. Which one did you throw up on? Uh, well? That Ooh. was, uh, um, that was fucking Tere. Yes. Mm. The guy who fucking ate everything yeah. and probably ate a toddler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, we, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but what we realized was Olivia Williams, when yeah. she was a guest, she'd brought in an article about a guy who would eat everything. And so I, I remember you telling yeah. me, you were like listening to it, uh, like just listening back and you were like, oh shit, have we already done, you know, did Olivia, it was like did well, Olivia do? Well after the, ter- like it was after. Um, it was before record- Tarea. It was so Olivia was first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tere- yeah. I realized after we recorded the season two finale, right, where Tere right. got to the final two. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, holy fuck, we just forgot about Liv's article. Yeah. And the fact that Liv did it. Turns out, completely different dude who just had an eating problem as well. 
And There's they been were, more than one. Yep. They were friends. Yeah, they were buds. What? These they lived two... at the same time and they were like, they'd found these kindred souls. All right. These Wild. two I mean... people who did the same, who had the same affliction. Huh. There Wild. were episodes that didn't make it. There were episodes that didn't make it. Ben um, did a wonderful... Oh, um, man. <laughs> look, okay. Do Have you got any... Can you find the article quickly? Oh, um, it was... It was... What was it called? It was like... It was a food... It was a food one. It was a... F- we'll just describe it. So, Ben did a thing about food and you're like, you're eating an airplane... You're really nailing this day. Yeah, no, I, I got no, it. No, I think it's like it's like a, it's like an artistic like form of like um, performance art yeah. where you go to a restaurant and like the waiters dance around you in circles and you can only eat with your face and not your hands. Yeah, and instead of giving you like normal food, they'll give you like a bowl of salad in a pig trough. Yeah, and, like. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then, like for dessert, you have to um oh yeah you to pick the person you're gonna have dinner with. You get in a styrofoam suit made out of styrofoam. Yeah, and then whoever your styrofoam feels the most electricity with, you sit with them. Okay, when you rub up against people, it was right. yeah, it was it was like it was it's art food, right? Art food. It's like and we'll, we have no idea what it's called, no, or what lost, it was because that episode got deleted, lost to time. I did one that got lost that was. Um, bonsai kittens, which is like this this hoax. Oh yeah, where fuck. this guy was that. like, yeah, you just you know you put kittens in a jar and they like grow in a weird way, and it was like a joke one. Uh, but we all got sad. <laughs> we did all get sad because <laughs> um, it was yucky. We, I think I, it was really late and I just didn't have any articles and I did milfs uh, as an article. You missed milfs, guys. Uh, can I say there was another one? It was quite early in the first season yeah. where we not only had like Clan McDuck, just yes. like all of the McDucks. Such a good episode. Also had the Gombi chimpanzee. Yeah, that was, Sam, yeah. that was Sam, Sam Webb's Webb. guest episode. And the Dancing Plague of 1518. Great episode. And Spite Houses. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot Spite <laughs> that Houses. That was a solid episode. That was, that a, good was ep- a really good episode. Season one was wild because we were finding... we. We were finding it out was, feet. It was back when we had no idea what the fuck was good to do and what wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so some episodes would just be like quite boring. Yeah. But then oh, others totally. would be fucking fire. Yeah. Like I remember I f- when when James brought in uh esoteric programming languages. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. It was like very interesting for James. I fell asleep <laughs> oh, during I, I was like I was like this I is- liked it. Yeah, thank you. I was like I've got nothing here. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't mention Rat King. Of course, a classic. <laughs> the first one that made it all our tummies turn. Good. Anyway, enough wanking on about our own memories. Um, James, this is the end. This is the end. Mate, as we said at the end of last season, mm. you came up with this yeah. in my basement I'm gonna where I used to live. Yes. And we've done this together and it's been really fucking fun. Mate. This has been the best. This yeah. has been like... It's been a fun thing I can look forward to every, it is, every two weeks. It is cool to have a completed... Thing, yeah. you know, to that to like uh, that has a history that yeah. you can look back on, which is why we wanted to do this episode. Yeah, yeah, because exactly. we, we uh, the other option we were thinking about was doing a whole night of recording mm. and just recording like sixteen episodes in one night. But then we realized that we're tired. Yeah, and Zane was like, "Hang on, I don't want you guys in my house that long." Um, so yeah. we were like, "Let's just do one big one." One big app, and so this is fun, and this is a really good way to cap it off, I think. Absolutely. And Zane, mate, thank you so much for letting us do this. You're welcome. The thank pod you, dad. Pod mm. dad. Pod daddy. Ugh, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that's is there anything else I thank don't. you right thank you to riley thank you to drew thank you to yeah. lachlan thank you to hannah yes thank They're you to all... alex did you say alex i didn't say alex alex is a alex. guest he's more of a host than a guest yeah, yeah exactly thank um, you to um and all the guests who came on guests. i think we listed them at the end of last season's finale but um yeah yeah guys thank you so much um and thank you, you guys for listening if you're still with us you've been listening since the beginning that's good on you because yeah. that's a trial that's an effort uh it's an effort and to all our listeners in canada because apparently we've got big numbers in Hell canada yeah canada They're big wikipedia fans in canada big wikipedia course, fans big in canada wikipedia. shout out to you guys um, um begrudgingly thank you to kevin mcleod yeah man even though <laughs> I mean, you're charging like us. you really gypped us there in the end really like, duped us you really put us under like the only reason we're shutting down is because we can't make that money we just can't. We're out of completely out of money. How much are you getting paid at this new job, big boy? Uh, it's I'm paid in clothes. Okay, good. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> An it's, IT job's paying you in clothes. Yeah, yeah. They're like get some. Well, it's like it's like goods, and then he sells the clothes for a profit. Exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think that this podcast deserves better. Just everyone now, go listen. Go listen. Tell your friends to listen. And go and listen to the whole thing. Better than what? Than what it got. We, you know, we should have been number one. I'll say it. <laughs> I'll say it. We should have been, been higher. Should have been number one on the network. We didn't get there. Should have been number one in the world. Should have been number one in the world. <laughs> if if we're wishing. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> like, like, fucking, aim let's go for the moon. Yeah. You'll hit the stars. What but is number one on the, on the network at the moment, dude? Is it still right. Murder in the Land of Oz? Still Murder in the Land of Oz. Oh, fuck. Uh, Castology is very close. Uh, wow. That's isn't that is that the podcast where you rank other podcasts? Where we recommend other podcasts. Gotcha. That's that's a, that's that fills that's a good idea. That fills yeah. the niche. Um, look, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to TNC. Mm. Thank you to Zane. Thank you to James. Thanks to me. Thank I'm you, cool. Curtis. Thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> thanks to Nick's the podcast cat. Yeah. And um, James. Well, I've been James Keir. I have been Curtis Lang. I've been Zancy Weber. Until next time. Well, till forever. Browse. Responsibly. <laughs> Holy, what a way to end we it! We have to have one more goof. <laughs> one more fuck up! Thank you. Yeah. Thank you! <laughs> Thank you, Zane. See you later, guys. Bye. It's been real. So, what should I listen to now? We are Castology. This is our podcast about podcasts. We are your castologists, Patrick Shearer, Liz Best, and Zancy Weber. Each week, we'll bring you three of the best and sometimes not so best podcasts around. We'll also do the hard work and trawl the RSS feeds to find the newest podcast that should be on your radar. And then next week, we come back and tell you what we thought of the recommendations and bring three new sparkling podcasts to check out. Now, will we always agree with each other's picks? Probably not. But hey, you're clever. You know that's how reviews work. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcatcher of your choice. That's not kind of productions podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.